legend, Shrek here. Welcome to the Noob Spare Podcast. It's interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the planet. Today, we're chatting with Maddie Turner. He's the host of Becoming a Bowhunter podcast. If you can sort of imagine what Noob Spiro has done in spearfishing, Maddie's kind of done in bowhunting. He came into it with very little experience and has sort of just tracked down bowhunting legends from around the planet to fast track his bow hunting and uh and his listeners and uh it's a phenomenal podcast got a great following and he's a legend of a guy came out and did a beginner spearfishing course with me with his brother and uh rachel from the dog and gun coffee and danielle from cayuga adventures they make the broadheads and run bow hunting courses up north anyway these guys were absolute legends pleasure to have on the course really good energy great vibe and this podcast with maddie is actually a little bit of a long time coming it's today he's going to pretty much shell out to to you guys you might be interested in bow hunting pretty much how to get into it from the start we talk about buying a bow we talk about buying all the gear getting uh target accurate how accurate you need to be before you head out hunting we talk about getting access to property um, learning how to close the gap uh, just the basics how to deal with wounded animals butchering and packing out we cover a fair bit of ground and i think it's a good little uh intro into the world of bow hunting if you are curious about it um maddie's very articulate guy so i think you're going to enjoy it we're going to get there in two shakes of a lamb's tail just wanted to give a quick shout out um 99 tips to get better at spearfishing is back up on noobspiro.com it's also um heading out the door to a bunch of retailers who are now stocking 99 spare recipes and 99 tips to get better at spearfishing so i'm just going to read out the frothing stores around the planet bear with me there's a few now and a, a massive thanks to you guys for getting the word to your stores to stock these things so uh neptonics in Tampa florida have got it marine and outdoors in blenheim uh brett has got it that's the ocean hunter store in blenheim ocean hunter auckland ocean hunter wellington ocean hunter whangaday have all got the books in store uh type tackle in northland new zealand have got them sky spearfishing in scotland spearfishing uk and cornwall uk uh, East to West Freediving in British Columbia, Canada. Hunt Gather Grow in Bedella, New South Wales. Barbecues and more in Browns Plains. Xmouth Tackle and Camping Supplies. Steve's got them in there. Mo Tackle Coffs Harbour. Rob's got them in there. Eden Kingfish Dive and Spear have just come on board. Drew has got them in store down there. Uh, found fantastic part of the world down there in Eden by the sounds of it. Thwaites Marine in Coffs Harbour have got it. That's Ben. Uh, go in there if you've got boating needs as well. Gear Taku by Derek. He Derek has them in his showroom in Perth. Um, Neptune Spear and Dive in Mackay. Adreno Perth have them. Adreno Sydney. Adreno Melbourne. Adreno Gold Coast. Adreno Wollongabba and Adreno Aspley have all got these books in store. Uh, Batavia Coast Dive and Water Sports in Geraldton. Tristan's got them in there. Fergo's Tackle World in Wollongong have got them. Fergo's Tackle World in Tarrant Point have got them. Boss Outdoor in Marimbula and Boss Outdoor in Nowra have got them. Spear West in Perth and Spearfishing Superstore in Cairns. Guys, get out there, support your local spearfishing retailer, build those relationships. Sometimes the temptation is to go online and save 20 bucks or, you know, save $35 shopping overseas with some randoms. Um, the relationships you build with local people uh, will stand you in good stead for a long, long time. And it's often that staffed by frothers just like you who just love spearfishing that much that they've decided to get a job in retail, so, um, looking after our gear and, and, and looking after us as Spiro. So shop with your local spearfishing specialist retailer, Full Shoal. Um, guys, I'm not going to go on and on. This is going to be a cracker episode. Here we go. Maddie Turner becoming a bow hunter. Let's do it. 
In a world of cancel culture, we need to be bold and stand up. Ignore the self-censorship, have a laugh and poke the bear, or in this case, a shark with Fuck the Tax Man. Listeners get a free hat of their choice when they spend over $100 at anoobspero.com forward slash taxman when they use the code anoobspero with designs that capture the frustration of having your fish taxed. You'll love the FTTM long sleeve UV blocking fishing jerseys, t-shirts, hats and more. Visit noobspero.com forward slash taxman. Use the code noobspero to score a free hat of your choice when you spend $100 or more. Again, go to noobspero.com forward slash taxman. Adreno stocks equipment for noobers. The gear you need for all things freediving and spearfishing. The Adreno spearfishing team froth on helping customers learn about the latest in spearfishing equipment, local diving, upcoming trips and events for Spiros of all levels of experience. There's no ego in there. You're going to meet cool people that love this spearing lifestyle as much as you do. Visit them in store in one of their huge mega stores around Australia. Chat to one of their friendly team members. Take advantage of the Noob Spiro discount code. Save $20 on every purchase over $200 in store, online, easy savings. Pump in the code Noob Spiro if you're shopping online or in-store, mention it to one of their friendly team members and save 20 bucks over 200 That's right, use the code NoobSpiro in-store. Shop with Adreno, our partner for more than 200 episodes. Are you US-based looking for freediving, spearfishing gear? Neptonics is the best. Their online website so easy to use. If you've got any questions, Jerry and the team answer questions via phone, email. Anyway, they've got an easy contact form on the site. Uh, these guys are absolute legends, and uh, if they sell it, they believe in it, they back it, they use it themselves. It's tough gear that works. Visit neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10% on any order at neptonics.com. That's right. Use the code NOOB10, N-O-O-B-10, on your next order. Save 10% at neptonics.com. I actually called your brother to try and get some funny stories from him. Just so I'd have some dirty stuff. I didn't get hold of him. I was a bit disappointed. I was like, oh, <laughs> brothers always have the best stuff. Definitely. I was obsessed with trying to give Josh a black eye when I was younger. So <laughs> I would just like wake him up by punching him in the eye just to see if I could give him a black eye. <laughs> I reckon he would have told you something like that. Name <laughs> uh, Spiro, welcome aboard. Um, you've jumped in halfway through, but I reckon we just carry on from there, Matty. Um I know Matt and Josh because uh, they come and did a spearfishing course recently with me, but you guys might know Maddie too. Uh, Matt Matt Turner uh, hosts the Becoming a Bow Hunter podcast. Uh, it's very well regarded in the bow, bow hunting world, so it was an absolute honour and a privilege to have him and his brother come and join me on a recent course, as well as another couple of avid bow hunters as well. I had, I had uh, Rach from uh, Dog and Gun Coffee, and Danielle from Cayuga Adventures, uh, and they run bow hunting courses up north, and Rach makes friggin' wicked coffee for the outdoors stuff. I think it's going to become a bit of a feature on Noob Spiro uh, spearfishing courses from now on. Already sort of yes. uh, wrangling a supplier arrangement with her because it's just so good, man. Like, um, can't, can't go past it. Definitely. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's good stuff. And I've, I've been stoked to have them as a podcast sponsor for a while now, but yeah. realistically I'm actually, I buy my, I'm on the subscription with them. I buy my coffee every <laughs> single month. They just released a new, new coffee and I jumped on it as soon as they released it. Yeah. Um, 
They've actually got like their own little dog squad um, community, I think they call it. And it's like essentially like a Facebook group where they release all these specials before they actually go out to the public. Oh, nice. And so um, they always put up little deals in there and I jump straight on them. (laughs) Their recent one, the Christmas special, it was actually like a coffee that they aged in an old whiskey barrel. Yeah. And the smell and the taste of it is just out of this world. Like I've never smelt coffee like that. It's kind of almost a funky smell. Like you smell it, like, whoa, that's that's almost potent. But then you drink it and you're like, oh, dude, like it's it's so flavoursome. I've never had a coffee that flavoursome before. Yeah. Well, I just like the sandbar and the Red Deer coffee blends. Like I've had coffee in a bag before, but I'd never had the one where they've got where you like you sort of tear open the top Pre-loaded of this bag. filter. Yeah, preloaded drip filter and it sits over top mm. of your cup and you just add hot water and it's like it's better than a lot of coffee shop coffee, if I'm honest. Like Yeah. Um and it's like it's, the perfect it, coffee for adventure. Oh, hundred percent. You chuck a couple of them in your bag if you're headed out. Like even on a boat, if you're doing overnight trips out the reef or something, that would be perfect in the morning, eh? Like proper coffee. I love it when it's a really chilly morning and you're out hunting and you're in the hills and it's like you're just sitting there glassing and waiting for something to move about and you're sitting there with a, a nice cup oh, of coffee yeah. you just bring glassing. out the jet boil and glassing. do that it's so good isn't that what you guys say the bow hunters glassing we're glassing glassing, glassing. Yeah, glassing. <laughs> it's just an excuse to sit there and warm up slowly i reckon sometimes <laughs> but maddie you're on to us <laughs> yeah it's great to have you on the show like you're a hundred and something episodes deep and becoming a bow hunter podcast like it's very much the same sort of premise as no spiro like you started with that sort of beginner mindset you might have had a couple of runs i'm not i'm not 100 sure on it but you pretty much have taken people on a journey where you've learned sort of the mastery and the art, the craft of bow hunting uh, and sort of taking people on that journey with you. Is that sort of how you would describe it as well? Yeah, definitely, man. It was um, pretty much got into it because I didn't really know anyone who bow hunted, didn't really know anyone who hunted for that instance. And so I was like, well, I already had my podcast gear. I was already running a, a health and fitness nutrition style podcast, lifestyle style type of podcast. And um Pretty much, I was like, heck, I, I may as well give it a shot. I'll see how it's received. Like, I don't know anything about this community. I don't know anything about the the passion or sport that I'm about to step into. But all I know is that it's like overtaking my mental capacity. Like, I honestly became so obsessed with it. And I just, it was all I would think about whenever I had a spare moment when I wasn't doing work or even when I was doing work. And I probably should have been yeah. thinking about other things. I was thinking about bow hunting. Um, so it, it got me like full hook, line and sinker. I was in there. And so I started this podcast and it was actually, it was really, really well received. And I started getting all these really awesome messages from people being like, thank you for doing this. Like our community needs this. This is incredible. Um, And just kind of kept growing from there into like, I now get messages from guys who are like, dude, thank you. Like this is completely saved me. Um, Mentally, I was in such an emotional rut. I was um, <clears throat> overworked. I was overstressed, and life was not good. And realistically, listening to the to the bow hunting podcast has been able to help me to a get into bow hunting, but then also b get my first animal down and just have all of these wild adventures. And your your podcast has really fast tracked me. So it's so, it's a really humbling kind of experience when you get those messages. It's it's really nice, mate. And you like these days, it's it's like you've gone from strength to strength. You get some of the best sort of hunters on the planet it's it's very australia centric but um it's um it's a great way i reckon just learning and listening hearing other people's wisdom their tips and tricks and um and the, the stories and adventures there's so many like lessons you can learn from podcasting like from podcasts like 
Um, you don't have to do everything the hard way. You're still going to do a whole lot of whatever you're trying to do the hard way. But it, it's, it's even nice when you hear, oh, hey, I'm not the only one. You know, exactly. Like, and I, I feel you know, like it's that, funny. I, I'm sure you can probably relate to this when you get told to not do something and then you go and do it. And you're like, oh, that's what they meant. Yeah. <laughs> like, now I get it. <laughs> I still had to go and do it, but yeah. yeah, yeah, but I get it now. Yeah, 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 no, definitely, man. So, um, like, I really want to geek out in this podcast if we can, um, particularly on like bow hunting, uh, and a guide to sort of getting started if we can. Because I think it's got a lot of the same appeal as spearfishing, but it's obviously done on land. Um, I know there's a lot of lot a lot that goes into it. Like you know, you research the animals that you're hunting and the and the places where you go and the properties, the the prevailing conditions. You you learn how to hunt and stalk, and there's all the body language and the, the you know thinking through an approach. Then there's you know then there's the shooting style of it and archery, like from all different sort of positions, um, and then learning how to set up correctly having a, a really good shot process there's butchering the animal cooking it preparing it in dozens of different ways and i'm sure that that's sort of a, another sort of journey of mastery that parallels the hunting side of it um mm-hmm. what are some of the other crossovers you think i've missed there from like now that you've had a good sort of look at spearfishing what do you think are some of the other crossovers from bow hunting to spearfishing uh i think there's actually like a big mental side to both right like you can be in a shitty mindset probably in the water and it's going to affect how you go out um like how your day plays out and probably the same thing for bow hunting um i really think like not necessarily always has to be this way but an optimistic mind helps like if you can go over one more ridge you're more likely to find another deer or a deer or like an an animal in general versus if you kind of get to the the mindset of like no what's the point then you're not really going to go out and see much and same thing i think would be said for for spearfishing um where it's like the more dives you do the more likely you are to actually see fish and the more opportunities you're going to have so that's definitely a big part is the mindset and how you approach it um i honestly think like realistically and i was thinking about this just before is the calmness you have to be calm when you're bow hunting because there really is such an adrenaline dump that happens when you're face to face with an animal and it's maybe something that i'm intrigued maybe to get your your uh take on this but because you're so calm in the water before you dive when you're doing a good dive it seems like when you at least in my experience from what i've had in the small amount of time of spearfishing when I take, took the shots and all the fish, none of it really, it never really gave me like a massive adrenaline dump. And maybe it's just because I've only shot at small things. It's not like I've gone after like big, big fish of like, oh, this is like a dream time fish or anything like that for me. But when I'm shooting an animal in particular, there's always like a big adrenaline dump that happens. Um, and like managing that through keeping yourself calm through your breath work is really really important because you can get the shivers and the shakes and stuff up pretty quickly afterwards you see videos online especially on youtube you'll see someone who's just shot like their first buck or first stag and they're like shaking all over the place and like trembling because they just they can't get their shit together um and they they also talk about buck fever which i'm sure is also something that happens essentially like the target panic when you're shooting um in in the water with spearfishing so there's there's so many crossovers man it's really it's really quite crazy to kind of see how much i think realistically there's just parts of spearfishing that um that you really need to focus on likewise or vice versa for bow hunting there's certain things you have to take so much more care with otherwise it just it can ruin the opportunities and sometimes you only get one opportunity in a day from from what i've seen about hunting i think 
sometimes a hunt takes a lot longer, you know, like, oh, yeah. like a layup and a stalking for a good animal. You know, some guys will spend half a day just getting in on an animal mm-hmm. and then there's 20 minutes where you might be just absolutely just stealing inches trying to get a little bit closer to get a bit a better um, shot on, on, on this animal. And I think probably that's maybe what leads so much into that adrenaline dump. I think sometimes mm-hmm. with spearfishing it happens the same, but it's just a much faster process, you know. Like yeah. we don't have a half a day layup on a even a marlin, you know, like you maybe maybe you do. See, like you might be out trolling on a big blue water rig and um you've got all these teasers out the back and you're just waiting for some some show uh, either on the sounder or someone's seen one out the back. And then, and then you're jumping in the water, and maybe that's one of those situations where you've got that massive adrenaline dump. But generally, with spearfishing, you know, it's one breath, one shot, and you know, most people's you know average dive was probably a minute or under, you know. So, how much, how much nerves and how much adrenaline dump can you fit into it? I've I've had some massive dumps, though, man. So I I hundred percent relate to that that self control, like. Um, but ours is for not such a prolonged period. And I almost think sometimes that that period of time, that build-up for you guys is like probably part of what does that. But I think that's also the fun moment too. And so it's almost like like sometimes, for example, I watch an Instagram video and a good Spiro will slow down like almost like frame by frame the sort of the five seconds before they shoot a fish. And that is like the frothiest feeling to capture <laughs> and slow down as they they know exactly what they're doing it's like there's an art to it you know because they they know that you know and said i've slowed it down for almost for your enjoyment you know yeah and then yeah. um and then the, the the pull of the trigger the squeeze and then yeah it's satisfying man um but i think yeah on dry land again because it's over such a longer period of time maybe there's a bit more of it definitely and sometimes it's not just half a day like it took me two and a half years to get my first year down and so that's a, a very prolonged period when you think about it like that. And I was going out monthly, um, sometimes even more than that, just to get out and learn these animals and figure out the block and, and just understand like the lay of the land. And most of the time what actually ruins you within the bow hunting world is the wind because they're so they're so cautious or so sensitive with their senses, in particular their nose for most critters that as soon as they smell you um, in any sense, they're gone. They're just out of there. And so if you're on a hillside, you never really, until you like stop and start to think about what the wind is doing, you never realize how much it can swirl. And just like the oh, lightest yeah. breeze is all it takes for it just to ruin everything for you. And you'll be on, the wind will be blowing in your face as you're walking to a mountainside where, there are, when they, where they are, sorry. And then you get up on the side of the hill and all of a sudden that wind is doing something different because you're on the side of the hill. It's usually blowing across one of the faces. And so you really have to kind of um, half the time, like you'll, you'll get into a position where you think it's going to work and the wind's actually stuff. You have to back back out and try again. Um, or you go to take a shot and that's when the wind blows in the back of your neck and you're like, Oh, there goes an animal <laughs> yeah, like just about there. And it just, it ruins it. <laughs> so is that something that you do? You have to sort of think about, okay, where is the position of the sun in the sky? Obviously you, you're paying attention to the bearing of the wind, but then you've got to have this hyper awareness of the topography and then you must have like either trained your intuition or your subconscious over a period of time to kind of maybe get the gist of what 
the wind is going to do when you do get up in some of this country? Yeah, well, you'll see often guys have like these little wind checkers and it's essentially just like a powder that they'll spray into the air. It looks like a chalk, just like like a little puff and it will blow with the wind. Um, and that's really good. It works really well. But I went hunting with this guy. He's an old school guy, Clark McGee, who's kind of hunted all over the world. He's been a guide here in Australia and um, he's done a lot for for like red deer herds and stuff here in Australia in particular. Um, he runs a, a group called the Ridge Group in the Brisbane Valley. But he said to me, he's like, one of the best things you can do, Matty, is actually throw that thing away and get used to just feeling the wind. Like get used to the feeling of what the wind is doing by yourself. And that way, when you're walking along, you can just kind of gauge it while you're out and about. Um, but the other side to that, which you kind of mentioned is like where the sun is at, something you really have to pay attention to is actually your shadow as well. Cause they're, mm. they're really looking for any sort of movement or sound that's, that's irregular to what they're used to. Um, and most animals, they see movement. They don't necessarily see, um, like a, a big shape if you stay in still and hence why a lot of people wear camo. And when you're standing still in camo, you can just get away with it as long as you're not moving about too much. But if you're standing there and you're swaying side to side, you're looking like a human, essentially that's when they're going to run away. But especially if they're, if you're walking with the sun in your back and you're casting a shadow and they see your shadow come over them, that's like, that could be the fear of like a bird or something like that coming down to swoop them or whatever it might be. And it, it can scare them really quite easily. So mm. yeah, there's definitely a lot you have to be really cautious of. And I think that's, I think that, like you kind of said or hinted to before, it is why it's so rewarding as a as a thing because you're never guaranteed. And when it actually does come together, it's like you got to thank your lucky stars because everything actually finally worked yeah. out for for once in once in a day. I think spearfishing is like that too, man. That it, it makes mm. the rewards all the sweeter. Like, like I think those adrenaline dumps you were talking about too. Like the times where I've felt it the most is where I've like been targeting a species for a long, long while. And then I finally get an opportunity on a good one, you know. And, um, you know, Spanish mackerel these days, like I've shot quite a few of them. Um, and same as like kingies, right? But with with Spanish in particular, if I get out and haven't shot one for six months and I get in the water and six silhouettes gradually approach from my left in mid-water, then I do get a big dump before I try and leave the surface. And... Um, it's hard to sort of manage that excitement, but you know, th I think that is, that's one of those things that probably bow hunting and spearfishing share. It's that, that mm. profound sort of level of self-control you've got to apply even when the excitement is just bubbling out of you, you know? And, yeah. uh, and if the fish gets any sort of vibes of just how excited you are to pull the tr trigger on it, it's gone. So, <laughs> It sounds, that was definitely one of the things that stuck out to me the most is like how much the animals pick up on your behavior. Mm. Um, I think realistically, we're just lucky that the vibrations of our body doesn't transfer through the wind because everyone would be <laughs> fucked <laughs> if that was the case of bow hunting. <laughs> All right. Um, so guys are already intrigued, right? They, they're already spearfishing. They, they like the idea of bow hunting. Um, how do we make that a reality? So, do we go and buy a bow first? Is that one of the first things we do? I mean, realistically, yes. And the hard thing about just borrowing a bow, unless it's a traditional bow, so one of like your recurves that you think about like what Legolas shoots in um, in Lord of the Rings, essentially that's like a traditional or a recurve bow. And that they, they look awesome. Some... You can you can let like 70 shafts go per minute. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shoot, yeah, exactly. He's, he's very You're going to decimate a whole herd of goats. <laughs> Take out a big old troll orc if you ever need to. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I interrupt. Um, but yeah, so essentially, like that, that is easy to be able to use in the sense of like I could hand you my recurve and you could have some shots. But in the sense of a, a compound bow, which is the ones that have the wheels and look a bit more mechanical. They are, are kind of tailored to each and every individual. So each person has different draw lengths um, and different positions that they'll pull, th- pull to. So, for instance, my draw length is a 30-inch draw length. A shorter guy might only be able to pull to 27. So they'll be pulling my bow back and not be able to hit that back wall, and they'll be kind of having to fight that pull the whole time. So it is probably, I would say, definitely worth going to. Some archery clubs do actually have the option for you to go and test out bows. Um, and so if you're interested and you can get along to an archery club that has that option for you, then definitely. But if you're like, hey, I'm going to go out bow hunting. I know it's something I'm going to get into. Then get yourself into a local shop and get measured up at least. And then you can start to look either on the forums online where a lot of people are selling their secondhand bows. Often you'll be able to even pick up like, a last year's top model because people upgrade every single year on the new bows. So you can get I've a last year's top model for pretty cheap. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know. It's like some people just love it, man. They'll just buy a new, new bow every single year, despite it being like the smallest of upgrades, but they're like, heck, I just want the newest and greatest. Um, and yeah, power to them. Right. So yeah, the, the problem, and this is interesting. This is something we talked about quite a lot was, I came into spearfishing and I was like, I'm just going to pay what I need to. Like, I don't care what it costs me. I'll, I'll drop the money straight away and make sure I've bought well to start with because in bow hunting, I didn't do that. And I bought everything twice, if not three times, because I tried to go the cheaper route. And I mean, granted, I definitely am in a better financial place than what I was when I very first started. But even if I had the chance to go back and tell myself, I'd say, just hold off and wait, like, save that hundred dollars that you're spending there because it's better off to put that five hundred dollars into it even if it's an extra few weeks for for that to happen but yeah realistically to get out hunting you want to be able to grab yourself a bow some arrows usually you might be able to get a combo or get something to to work in together um at the shop or if you're buying from someone second hand you want to get some broadheads i particularly like the cayuga broadheads once again they're another sponsor on my podcast but they're actually just a really good um, broadhead. They're a brand of guys that I know, like, and trust. They put a lot of time and effort into making sure that their broadheads do exactly what they're meant to do. Um, and they're very well trusted. They're like, we, we talked about this once again quite a lot. They're getting a lot of mentions on Joe Rogan's podcast right now of a lot of bow hunters from all over the world who are starting to find this little Australian brand and the amazing things they're doing. So, I would, yeah, I would highly recommend them. Um, and then on top of that, you probably want to get yourself binos and um a rangefinder so a rangefinder being something that can tell the distance between you and the animal which is actually once again really quite important because typically your bow is going to be measured out to have your different measures measurements on it so i've got what what's called so each each bow has a sight on it and mine has three pins and so my top pin is 20 meters my second pin is 30 meters my fourth pin is 40 meters so my third pin is 40 meters but then I can slide my whole housing, so the site housing, and I can make my 40 become a 50, become a 60, become a 70 oh, by moving okay. that casing up and down. So there is a lot of like gadgets and tech, like technical side to bow hunting. Yeah. I really don't tinker that much with it. I've got a guy that I go to. I send my bow to him. He fixes it all up. He's actually also one of the owners of Cayuga um, Broadheads. But, yeah, I send it to him. He fixes it up. It's shooting well, and now I just go and shoot animals. 
that's my plan. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, realistically, that's kind of what you need to have to to get started. Okay, cool. And um, going back right to the start of your bow hunting journey, mm. would you do what you just did getting into spearfishing? Would you do that with bow hunting? Would you go and do a course? Oh, 100%. And this is like for me, I guess I was scratching an itch that um, like I grew up on a farm when I was younger and not for, not for a super long time like maybe a year and a half we're on the property and then we went away from the property and when i was about 18 19 we started going back to the property every other easter and i reckon i must have been about 25 and we went to the the property once i just had like the biggest holiday blues after leaving i was like wow (laughs) like there's like a real calling for me to get back to the to the land and so when i finally got into bow hunting at 29 I guess that was fulfilling that itch that I had is like, yeah, it was scratching it for me after I'd had it for so long. Um, and so for me, I kind of knew it was going to be something that I wanted to do. I'm, I'm a pretty stubborn person and pretty persistent once <laughs> I get into something as well. Yeah. Um, and so when I kind of started thinking about this bow hunting thing and I, I already had access and that's something we'll talk about because that's also a, a pretty difficult thing at times. Um, I already had access. So I knew all I needed to do was keep rocking up and eventually it would happen. And so I, I guess realistically knowing on this side of it, like it's easy to say, but even in that point in time, I was pretty sure it was going to be something I was going to be doing for a long time. So um, coming into spearfishing, I was like, I already hunt. I already love it. I know I'm going to enjoy hunting in the water. I don't see why I wouldn't. Like, why would you not just buy and acquire this whole new skill to be able to go and do and keep providing for the family on the food side of things, which is what I'm really kind of driven by, to be honest. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, reconnecting with the environment, it's like getting away, mm. unplugging, and then also bringing home food for the family. It's like it's a no-brainer, I reckon. Like, hundred percent. Yeah, we're all we're all the smart guys that have figured it out already. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I like I, I was saying. I think I was saying to you on the calls too. It's like when you have kids, it's like for every kid you have, like there's a hobby gone. You're allowed one <laughs> hobby when you have multiple kids, like. I've got four boys, uh, you know, two stepsons, two natural. But uh, between that and the full-time job and the podcast, it's like I'm allowed one hobby. But bow hunting always, always intrigues me. But um, like like you say too, like I think paying the money and going and doing a course and buying the gear right first time, it ends up saving you money in the long run. But you also like, and, I, and this isn't like I'm not, self-promoting my own courses here but i honestly think coming coming to do a a course is like skipping like one or two years of doing everything the hard way um unless you've there's there's other ways to do it too like you can go through spearfishing clubs um sometimes they have a mentoring program in them and very good clubs that's a really cool part of a really good club um and then or the other way is you know someone and that they can take you, you know. But mm. aside from those two, I think really coming and doing a course is like it, it puts it on, on you know, everything on, you know, triple speed. And I'd imagine for bow hunting it's the same, but not everyone has that financial luxury. With with the bow, the arrows, and the broadhead set up, um, can we just walk through some approximate costs and then the binos and the rangefinder as well? Definitely. So my first bow setup that I got was a, a combo. It was kind of like a mid-range bow, and I got that for fifteen hundred dollars as a pack. Um, and that that did everything that I needed to. Like it was, it would, it helped me to put down many animals. Right, binos. I put about five to six hundred dollars into. There were the Vortex ones. Um, that and they Vortex is the brand. 
yeah, they have a lifetime warranty on them. So it means that if at any point in my life they're broken, they're burnt in a fire or anything like that, I can literally return them oh, and wow. get replaced, which is pretty incredible. And then my rangefinder, I bought a, a GP from Aldi, and it's actually still going strong. But um, from Aldi, the next thing, yeah, from Aldi <laughs> of all places. What, what are they got rangefinders for? Yeah, for golf, uh, they yeah. use all the time in golfing world. So um, that's actually the next thing I'm going to use for that. But yeah. Great news for the people that are not a fan of the tax man. The man in grey suits, the nasty buggers that like to sometimes show up and try and ruin our fun spearfishing life. Ocean Guardian have got some great things for us. We have got the Freedom 7 and the Scuba 7, which also come with a discount when you use the code NoobSpiro. Visit noobspiro.com forward slash OG. And that will take you to Ocean Guardian's site. Check out some of their stuff. They've got the best stuff on the market, bar none. It's powered by Shark Shield technology, the world's most effective electrical shark deterrents. They're scientifically proven and tested, backed by multiple published research papers, tested and approved by governments all over the world. They continue to innovate in this space. And the Freedom 7 could be perfect for your spearfishing life. Get 10% off when you use the code NoobSpiro on the Freedom 7. Just head to noobspiro.com forward slash OG. Check it out now. This podcast is brought to you by aqualite.com.au. This is the best solution bar none for staying hydrated in the ocean. If you're a Spiro, it's an absolute no-brainer. It's a game changer. If you're doing extended trips and the cramp starts to set in and uh, the old body's telling you, hey, that's enough, just get hydrated and it will save you a whole heap of woe. It's a groundbreaking product that can help you to stay hydrated. It's got low sugar, it's less acidic than other options on the market, it's rapid absorption, help you to maintain performance. Dehydration of just one to 2% can affect your mental and physical performance by up to six or 7%. And as when you're spearfishing, you can tell when dehydration is starting to affect you because the equalization goes out the window. Get Aqualite at aqualite.com.au. It's scientific rehydration that Spiros know and trust. I know because one works there, and that's why we've set up this discount code for you. 10% off when you use the code NoobSpiro at aqualite.com.au. Check it out. Australian-made hydration products tailored for Spiros and a whole bunch of other people that suffer from dehydration too. But check it out at aqualite.com.au. Use the code NoobSpiro to save 10%. Killfish with precision and power, sending shafts from a stable platform with Killshot spear guns. Made in the Florida Keys by Ed Martin, you're buying American-made dependable spear guns. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Nuba. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. It says if they're in the shop or on the phone, they can cash in by saying, Crikey, mate, or the Noob Spiro podcast sent me. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com, based in the Florida Keys. Just to get infinitely practical again for a sec. So, like, I've got my bow kind of set up, but I'm not drawn. I'm still sort of stalking in on an animal. Um, I've looked at the binos and I've decided, like, yep, hey, that's an animal that I want to take. And I'm stalking my way in. At what point? Do I use the rangefinder, and is it something that you just keep doing? And and then, how how disruptive is it switching from your rangefinder to pulling your bow up and getting into a into a shot position? 
Yeah, so everything, especially as you get closer, you need to be smoother, slower. Like everything slows down the closer you get because once again, they're they're looking for movements. What I've got and what a lot of hunters will wear is like a bino harness is what it's called. And so essentially your binoculars sit into this harness that sits on your chest. And then I've got my um, my rangefinder harness right next to it. So it's all just right here in my movement. Yep, yep. So essentially I've got my bow and I've got my hands just up on my chest. Yeah, nice. Move. And so really that's a real that's a real tactical sort of military way of setting things up. I guess where that's where a lot of these ideas come from. Definitely, yeah. It's like you look at what a military pack looks like, and it all looks pretty darn similar. But um, with the with the like grabbing the gear and looking and stuff, like with the binos. Oh, sorry, with the rangefinder, like. You'll typically look just to see how far an animal is when you first spot it. And then you're like, okay, in each kind of new, uh, I guess, set point that you get to, you want to range it again just to see how far you are. Yeah, a right. lot of people, especially within bow hunting, like a shot under 30 meters is ideal. If you can get to 30 meters or closer, you know that that animal's pretty much dead on the stick as long as you, as long as you can get your shot off. But at the same time, you need to get that close um and so yeah. realistically some people will happily take longer shots but i think in in the ethical side of things which is something that um i've really kind of tried to push within the podcast because i've learned from doing my own mistakes and i've seen from other people i've heard many stories but essentially the closer you get the, the better off you are mm-hmm. and the more likely you are to go home with meat at the end of the day so getting under 30 meters that's that's pretty much what you're looking for when you're ranging. So you're looking, you're late, you're ranging, but you're not just ranging the animal. Often you're ranging all of the other things around it. Like for instance, this animal is walking across the field. You want to see the set points it's walking to. So if it gets to this tree and I'm standing here, I know it's going to be at 50 meters. So all I need to uh, make is yeah. another 20 meters, and then I've got where I need to be to take that shot. So. A lot of the time, and depending on which time of year you, your range, or sorry, your your hunting in, at times of the year you can actually call the animals in to you as well, especially if they're in like a breeding season. So you can sit in a spot, you can range ten or fifteen trees around you and figure out what all your your closest points are. Um, and so when an animal runs in, you're like, okay, that tree was thirty meters, I can take a shot at it from here. While we're here, the bow hunting courses and stuff. Like we've talked about Cayuga and obviously I met Danny, like they run a course up north. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it runs like for three months, week on week, sort of back to back. And I think she was saying it's about $5,000 um, for food and all everything's included once you're there. I think it's 3750 maybe or 3950 or something oh, yeah. for their course. Uh, okay. So week long. I think they only run the, the bow hunters course for the first two weeks, but they are there for 10 weeks ah. uh, each year for their season. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, so that's an incredible course. Like the, I've, I haven't done it myself, but I actually had a friend, I went out hunting with him and he was missing pigs at like six meters. Like you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything different to make him better <laughs> essentially on that trip. He went away, he did that bow hunters course for a week and came back and he put down like this massive buck within the next few months. Like his transformation within a three month period was just exponential um i mean i actually want to go back on that as a as a touch point for what you had said before because realistically find yourself a good group of teachers is actually really important because you can go out with someone who's actually a really great hunter or a really good spear fisherman but if they don't know how to teach you or how to um, explain it in a way that makes sense for you makes it yeah. click for you then it it's never going to come to fruition really easily yeah. um i remember i went out in a hunt with a, a really good hunter and a 
brand new hunter and the brand new hunter like the the really good hunter stalked him onto an animal and the brand new hunter went up and went to take a shot and um the the wind changed and it got away from him and the really good hunter just walked away and never told him anything about what he could have done differently uh-huh. and so when we got back in the car i said hey what what would have you done differently to make that actually happen and he goes oh well blah 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 yeah, blah blah yeah. like, it wasn't until he was kind of pushed to talk about it but he actually did so i think realistically having a group like what you guys had on the course it was so transformational because you literally you're you have a teaching background tom is just very good he's very humble in his approach and how he how he can explain things is very um Hmm. I don't even, like he's just very straight to the point which is awesome like yeah. it really it really can just tell you like no don't do it like this do it like this because this this is the outcome you want to get and i think that like that that alone is worth its money in gold because you really are fast track fast tracking your journey like i think i said on your podcast which i think will be out or definitely will be out by the time this one goes up so people mm. can go and have a listen to there on uh I'm Maddie's becoming a bow hunter podcast. But one thing I was saying is, if I had if I had a hundred Tom Sandstroms, I'd take over the whole world. He's an absolute legend. <laughs> He's such a good guy to take on courses. I I get him up every every chance I get. I'm, I'm a bit spoiled by by some of the team I have available. Like um, because like. Tom is one of those unique guys too. Like he's an amazing spirit and a great teacher. And it's mm-hmm. like um, I've, I know you know lots of good spiros, and I but I don't know a lot of great spiros that teach other people. And um, yeah, there there are a handful in the country that I know of. Um, Simon Tripp's another guy down in Sydney, uh, very well regarded. But yeah, they're, they're not real common. These kinds of guys. Ant Judge, I think, is another one up in north northern Queensland. But for for bow hunting courses, so the the Kyoga one is obviously you you regard it really highly. Are there other ones around the country? There is another one. So one of the guys I interviewed, uh, Brad Murphy, and there's actually a TV series you guys should check out if you're interested in like the whole outdoors scenario and hunting in general called The Season. And Brad Murphy was on The Season. I've actually had pretty much a lot of the people who have been on The Season on my podcast okay. as well just because they're all within the bow hunting worlds. Um, but Brad Murphy is the bow hunting coach on social media, and he's got, a, I think it's a six-module course that he's put together and the first module is all online completely taking you through start to finish of shooting your bow and getting set up and getting ready to to be proficient within the bush um and then every other part from there the modules essentially are like in-person events where you can go and learn how to do like a full butchering um course with some of like the best game um game chefs within australia and um like ross amara is one of the guys that i've had on my podcast as well he's got a great cookbook um just called oh jesus i'm gonna butcher that um it, it's awesome oh, I, I love use the it all the time i love the yeah. pun, that was, yeah, was I, that the <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just called cooking wild game um but yeah, I absolutely love it. But yeah, and then they've got like courses in person where you can go out and do kind of like a hunting experience and stuff. So it is. There's definitely other options. Also online, very Americanized. But you've got things like the Knock On series. So John Dudley is a coach over in the states that's pretty highly regarded. He's kind of in with like your Joe Rogans and your pretty much everyone who's getting into bow hunting realistically over there has probably gone and talked to to John Dudley at some point. He's yeah. got a full series online. Um, of doing reps and learning how to shoot properly. And that's one of the biggest things is learning how to shoot properly. And really it kind of comes down to what we were talking about before with like getting good teachers and going through 
perfect practice rather than just practicing for practicing sake you need to make sure that you're doing some form of practice that's going to actually improve you um I, I quickly came onto that when i was getting into bow hunting so i've always been reasonably accurate and never really had to struggle through target panic or anything like that but you see a lot of people who do struggle because they've never really got their head around that that actual shot placement or shot sorry shot process rather yeah you and i were chatting about the joel turner one funnily enough mm. and i probably should have told you this um tom was the person that put me on to joel turner after listening to joe rogan's interview with him yeah and, um, it was a great interview well it's such a profound heuristic for looking at whole like very like gross motor skills in any facet of life mm-hmm. um even like I, I started using it with public speaking believe it or not yeah like, makes sense yeah, like, and it's like, you know, talking yourself through a process and, and being sort of cognizant of the steps that you're going through. Mm-hmm. If if you are mucking something up, you're able to dial in on where you're mucking it up. Whereas if you don't have a process, it's all, it can all just be a big mess and you can't really tell what the hell's going on. Definitely. Yeah, we used to do a lot of stress mitigation work. Like when I was running my health and nutrition business, one of the big things we did was wellness in the workplace so we'd go out and we'd like run events at virgin australia or like big building companies within australia would go in and teach them how to mitigate their stress within the workforce so teaching realistically just like stress practices and it's bizarre how much of that correlates to what i do in bow hunting yeah. and like talking to people off the ledge of like hey you're shaking like crazy just sit and breathe like just catch your catch yeah. your breath up S- slow down your exhale like yeah, you can really transform the way you're feeling. And one of the best practices, and I think this can, this would even work perfectly for being in the water, um, is doubling your exhale to your inhale mm. because what that does, it helps to activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the the vein that kind of hooks, or, um, yeah, the nerve that hooks between your brain and your heart and can really- The vagus, vagus nerve. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. And so- just doubling your exhale to your inhale. So for instance, if you breathe in for four seconds, yeah. exhale for eight seconds and do that two or three times over and it could really calm you down. It's also a good one if you um if you struggle with sleep, do that on repeat and you'll you'll fall asleep pretty quickly. Yeah. No, I I've, I call it cadence breathing, but I, I know mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. And um yeah, like it's it's very good for calming you down. Um especially if you're having like panic attacks or you're in mm-hmm. a real high stress environment. Um that's cool. And you and I were talking before the show about cold therapy. Um, yep. In fact, rule seven on the Matty Turner rules for life, cold water, water immersion does some amazing things for me, for your mental health. The colder, the better, Matty Turner says. Was that my, um, my 34 years? Yeah, yeah, 34, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tips. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I honestly was in the ice bath just before. I, I hurt my back the other day, and I, so I've been making a conscious effort to ice bath every single day, and um, I hadn't done it yet. So I'm like, well, before I hop on the podcast, I'll jump in the, the ice bath. Nice. Mate, I bought a bathtub. I was going to retrofit it with like um, a couple of long bits of 4 by 2 so that I could tilt it up basically and um, move it around, put some wheels on it and stuff, and then sort of lean it against the building when I'm done with it or whatever. And um but I just never got to it. It's just one of those projects. Everyone tells me like, oh, you got to get a chest freezer and then waterproof it. Well, I've got, yeah. yeah, it's something I've looked at and it's just like another one of those things. I'm just like, ah. And now now everyone's onto it too. So you can't even really mm-hmm. get hold of the chest freezers that easy anymore. They sell so quickly on Facebook Marketplace, don't they? Wow. I actually I actually did like the dodgy way. Like my, my chest freezer has a metal lining, which you're not really meant to do for – 
for ice bathing, but I do it. It's, it's been fine. Like I've had it for, I've had it for well over a year and a half, maybe even closer to two years now. Um, it just, hasn't been running the whole time, but it's been awesome. I love just it. Silicon? And all I did, yeah, just silicon, just a pool silicon, and then I've just got a filter that runs twenty four seven, and then I turn the freezer on and off every three or four days. So I'll turn it on for probably twenty four hours. It freezes over on the side, gets nice and cold, and then I just let, let that defrost over the next whatever it takes forty eight hours or so. 72 hours, and then I turn it back on, start the process again. With your filter, does it move a fair volume of water? Does it get like, do you get the um, aeration in the water and a bit of a current, or is it? It does, yeah. It's like, and it's it's not a huge one. Like, I probably could go to the next level up, but I just got like pretty much one of the biggest pond filters I could get from Oh, nice. And so it's literally, it's a cheap, it's like a $90 filter, but it does the job. It does everything it needs to. Yeah. Cold water therapy is the next thing for me. Like, um, I, I listen to Joe Rogan. So so much of my things from life have been borrowed from his podcast. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sauna fanatic. Absolutely love the sauna. Um, you know, like tragically, a few years ago, I started jujitsu. All I needed was the excuse of having a, a context where I needed. I was working in the jail. So thanks, thanks, Joe. Um, he's just like so many things. It's like cold water therapy is another thing that I haven't done yet, but I want to bow hunting. Funnily enough is another one that, um, Joe Rogan always talks about as well. There's a lot of parallels there. So it's funny. No, I honestly think so. We used to run a health retreat and, um, on these health retreats, we would put people through cold water immersion. Um, so cold therapy, and essentially all we'd make them do is one three-minute session. And just to even get them to build up the confidence sometimes was like a, a pretty big task in itself. And people would come in like there's no fucking way. Like I am not doing that. Hopefully we can swear because I've been dropping yeah, the session. But <laughs> um, they're like, there's no way I'm hopping in that. And then eventually you work them into it. You do some breath work. You calm them down. You're like, look, you can you can actually get through this really easily if you get in the water and you learn to mitigate your stress whilst you're in, in motion. And essentially would take them through it and they'd hop out after three minutes and they'd be like, I'm fucking invincible. Like I can do yeah. anything in this world. Throw it at me. Like I am just this amazing person. It's just, it's so cool to see that that transformation within yeah. three minutes. And I honestly think it, I don't necessarily still get that outcome from it every day when I hop in it, but I definitely come out with like some pretty amazing endorphins. Um, I had some issues going on with my knees at one point and that's like completely gone just from oh, getting in the cold every day. Like talking my language pretty, there, far out. Yeah, it's pretty crazy what it can do. I, I honestly think if if you've got any form of like physical work where your body's pretty beat down, yeah, you should jump on in the ice bath at least once yeah. a week. Sold. Um, the, a lot of the studies say like eleven minutes a week is what you, you pretty much meet, need. For okay. like all of the benefits, like in particular, like the weight loss sides and whatever else that comes into it. But um, yeah, honestly, think hopping in the water, that cold water, it's scary. You don't want to do it, but you do it, and then it makes everything else easier in your day. Love it. I'll have to try and avoid. I guess the good thing is like you're not going to be doing breath hold activities in like zero degree water, so no. that temptation's not even there. So. No, although, like, honestly, the slower you can have your breathing, the easier it gets. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So no, I hate whenever doing... you come around, we'll get you in the water. Ah, jeepers, I'm going to make it happen now. Maybe Friday. <laughs> ah, equalizing. One of those things that you take for granted most days when everything's working perfectly. But what if it's not? Maybe that's your biggest struggle. Are you equalizing correctly? 
Learn how to get your EQ game tight with Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. Check out Ted's equalizing course at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted and Master Frenzel. Troubleshoot your EQ game and keep charging in your spearing game. Learn more at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted and use the code noobspiro to save some dosh. I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot Spear Guns utilize the finest of kiln-dried Burmese teak. Killshot Spear Guns also combine American-made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust fish after fish. Get $30 off any Killshot Spear Gun at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Yes and amen, Uber. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at KillshotSpearGuns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Did you know when coming up from a spearfishing dive, it's possible that you would feel 100% fine right until the moment you blacked out? Did you know being dehydrated or hungover increases your risk of having a blackout? Did you know I have never seen a person hit the surface and yell, Dad, help, I'm about to black out, come save me. No, they typically hit the surface, take a couple of breaths, and then quietly sink into the abyss. Whether they live or die is 100% dependent on if you are close enough to grab them and take care of the situation. Did you know it's very easy to have a loss of motor control or a minor blackout and not even know that you had one? Did you know that if you have a loss of motor control or blackout and you continue diving that day, you are way more likely to have a much worse blackout? Did you know breathing across the eyes of a blackout diver can help initiate a breathing response? That was 60 seconds with me. What else don't you know? My name is Ted Hardy, the founder of Immersion Freediving, and I want to do more to stop the needless fatalities from shallow water blackout than any other person on the planet. And that's why I created freedivingsafety.com. Lucky for you, I made it very easy to get up to speed. You can learn how to reduce your risk of having a blackout, how to save your buddy's life, how to tell if you're wearing too much weight, and avoid breathing techniques that drastically increase your risk of having a blackout and it's all for free. Go to freedivingsafety.com and sign up for my free safety course. Dive safe out there. It's not even that hard, especially when you learn for free at freedivingsafety.com. Okay, so we've got our bow, we've, we've bought our gear, we, we've maybe invested in one of these online, um, you know, shot classes so that we get our process right. Um, how accurate do I need to be before I go hunting? And what 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 stances do I need to be comfortable in to realistically take an animal? Mm, that's a good question because um, the stances thing is like something where realistically you probably should just try shooting sitting down. You should try shooting sitting on your knees, like yeah, kneeling down on one knee on both knees. Um, try kneeling, try standing, like do it all because realistically you never know what sort of position you're going to be put in. So I honestly, I got into that straight away, was learning to practice in all different modalities because realistically you never know what's coming when you're out in the field. Mm. Uh, The other side to it on shot placement, realistically the tighter you can get your groupings and the more accurate and comfortable you can be with your gear, the better. Everyone kind of says like, hey, if you can shoot um, within a dinner plate at 40 meters, like you're good to go. But realistically, I'd say like, hey, a tennis ball is the size of a heart. So if you can shoot a, tw- a tennis ball quite consistently at 20, 30, 40 meters, 
then you're probably in in the right position to kind of go out hunting but mm. know that it's going to be very different when you get face to face with an animal and that's where that stress, stress mitigation stuff i've been kind of pushing out the whole time is is really important shot placement like you're always like everyone talks about double lung or heart uh, mm. that's your common sort of shot spot um based on the relative position of the animal to you though the heart can be in sort of almost like different parts of the body like you're your target shifts based on how the animal is positioned here. Is that right? And Correct. How, so you'll and, hear a lot of people when they're talking about it like a broadside shot, which is a literally them standing side on to you, yep. you versus a quartering on shot where they're standing slightly facing yep. you and quartering away is when they've got their head turned away from yep. you. And so all the different angles, essentially what you always want to think about is like that chest cavity, it's always going to hold the heart, the lungs, and the vitals, the places you want to hit. But at which angle do you have to hit to be able to shoot that? And I actually did a really cool podcast with a guy called Liam Woods and we put it up on YouTube. It's like a shot placement podcast where you've literally got it. We got a whole heap of different um, animals up on the screen. We showed the different angles of how they would stand. So your broadside, your your um, quartering way, your quartering on, yep. and then we did like laying down animals. Animals are on their their back feet, like up oh, in yeah. and stuff like that. So to kind of show like what your shot placement would be. But realistically, there's kind of like a, a if you think about the broadside shot, there's what they call the triangle which is pretty much where you're, I can't really show you right now, but essentially if you can think about where the scapula is and how that sits versus your shoulder, essentially where the point comes into, like the elbow point comes from the elbow, it comes into where your scapula joins on. And in between that whole segment, there's like a little, a, a triangle that forms between where the scapula is, where the bones are and how it lays. And if you hit anywhere within that triangle, you're almost guaranteed a death shot. So that's heart, lungs. Um, you, you're going to clip something or something or all of, um, the, and that's going to put the animal down. But then it just depends on what size animal you're shooting. Like they reckon if you're shooting some buffalo or big um, scrub bull or something like that, you should try to go for double lung because they can't get very far without oxygen. Versus if you punch them in the, in the heart, like many people have seen them run for kilometers on a on a busted heart like because yeah, they're still right. pumping so much blood through their body and they've got the oxygen to keep them pumping so if you if you if you blow up those balloons they can't get very far at all mm, very interesting mm. that, that sounds like a really cool podcast i'm going to link that up in today's show notes so if, if people uh go to noobspiro.com forward slash bab i'm going to link up anything and everything that maddie and i have chatted about today but that podcast there about shop placement sounds Really good for people to come and watch. Okay, cool. So let's get into access then because it's kind of the um, it's the shit sandwich of it all, I think, because it is. it's not a real easy one to overcome in Australia. But let's keep in mind, like, I've got, I've got listeners in all different parts of the world. So mm-hmm. if we can broaden it out generally, um, that would be great. But how do we get access to a property? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the best things you can do, especially in the hunting world, from what I've found, is just talk about hunting more. The more you start to talk about it, the more you're going to find little connections of people who know someone who is related to someone who has property, who's got a goat problem, who's got a deer problem, who's got a something problem, and they want these critters gone. And essentially, they're looking for trustworthy people. So a recommendation is always stronger than someone just coming off the street. Um, yeah, yeah. At, at least in my eyes, like I've always been – more prone to go and see a physio if someone else says to me hey this is a great physio you yeah. should go see them 
like if you Google search, you're like, eh, maybe this is a good one. Who knows? So um, I think the same thing kind of kind of dictates or translates to to when you're going hunting. The other side of it is typically that depending on where you are, there is usually some form of public land access. So in Australia, in particular, we've got uh, New South Wales and we've got Victoria, where you can do public land access. Everywhere else has to be private land. And so private land is definitely a harder one. But like I said, talking to more people, I'm actually going to do a podcast on this because it's a big topic. Like Mm. we could do a whole podcast on this in general. But I think realistically, being a good human is probably one of the best places to start. Like if you can go in with a really good mindset of um, like, hey, I want to come and help you as much as possible. And I don't mean help you by coming and hunting on your land because that's not really all that helpful for a, for a, a farmer, <laughs> yeah. right? Like helpful is going on and doing a few days worth of work for them because they don't have the laborers that they need to be able to get just the basic shit done around the farm. There's always a thousand jobs to do on a farm. And so if you can be a helpful person who actually wants to go in and make a difference to their land, they're more than likely going to help you get what you want of some hunting access. And like yeah. my my family is where I mainly go hunting for red deer, but I still always make sure like I'll give up every hour that I can to make sure I'm giving them as much as possible because I never want to take that for granted that just because they're family, I'm going to have that access. I don't think that's yeah. necessarily a true true way to think. So I'll always, yeah, I'll always be like, hey, what needs feeding? What do you need me to do? Are the fences down? Or if I see a fence down, I'll be like, hey, this fence is down. I'm going to take the truck and I'll go and put it back up and just making sure that you're a useful person when you're there. Um, yeah, yeah. But for instance, we went to a block. Me and some friends went to a block. So funny story, they had a Airbnb on the block my mate went and stayed at the Airbnb, um, found out that hunters go onto the block all the time, but it's paid. And he just got talking to the the farmers in general who own the Airbnb. And they said, oh, mate, you should come out for a hunt one day. And so he's like, yeah, sure. So he came out. Anyway, he's like, hey, we actually want to put in some time. Um, can I bring some mates out and we'll help you? And so we then went out. We did a few days of work for them. I think in, in total, we've probably done like not even 18 hours worth of work, like three, six or four hour shifts essentially is what we did in between hunts in the morning and the night. And the guy was like, boys, I've never had in the 20 years of letting people on this property, never had someone stop and help me. He's like, I just want to say thank you. Like, this is incredible. He's like, you guys are welcome whenever you want to come out here, which is crazy, right? Like he actually makes a living off of having people come on his land in a sense, like he earns an extra 20 to 30K um in in hunters fees essentially each year and he's like i'll wave that for you guys because you gave me three days of work like we're, <laughs> we're going to continue to keep doing that for him because it's just a good agreement i think but i think if you can make yourself useful and be a good human in general it, it is definitely a way to put your foot in the right step yeah nice okay cool all right so talking about hunting being a good human and then um i guess being trustworthy once you do get an opportunity and um what about the ethics of taking other people with you? I guess like in the case of your mate, like he took you guys, but it was on the provision and understanding that you guys were doing the work too and you mm-hmm. all had a similar mindset about it. Um, yeah. I- what about like if you've, if you've sort of, you know, you've planted these seeds, you've, you've tilled the soil, you've done those, that work and rolled up your sleeves and helped these people, then you've got access to that property What's what? What are you? What is your sort of, you know? How do you judge whether or not you're going to take a person with you or not on that into a place like that? Yeah, I think realistically, and this is also part of why I wanted to come in and do a, a, the spearfishing course is because you want to make yourself useful 
right? In the sense, like you, you don't want to be. It's not necessarily that you don't want to be the bare beginner because you can be a beginner and still be um, like a good person and working towards like the same needs of everyone in a sense. I guess maybe I'm saying that the wrong way, but essentially everything is kind of done in some form of currency. You don't want to be a complete dead weight on that currency, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so um, like part of me coming in and doing some efficient courses is like, hey, I want to make sure that I know the skill straight away. And then if I ever get invited on a trip, it's because I potentially already know more than what some people might know or oh, like I've already jumped that curve, right? And so same thing, not necessarily the same thing, but essentially the same thing, right? Like I would happily take out any beginner if they had the right mindset. But yeah, like I've yeah. had people reach out to me and they're like, oh man, I just can't get any access and just everything in life is so hard and blah, blah, yeah. blah. It's like a real mopey type of person. And you're like, well, I don't necessarily want to hang out with you either. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I think you're really dictated by the landowner, not necessarily by who you want to take out. Because for instance, like my own uncle, they have stud cattle and they don't like me to bring anyone out. So I just, that's the agreement we have. I come out hunting and I don't really bring anyone with me. Yeah, yeah. Like my cousin and, and sorry, my cousin's husband and me are pretty much like the only people that ever hunt on that block. Every once in a while, if they're like, hey, we've just got too many deer here, can you organize some friends? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. And we'll go and knock over a fair few deer and that would be kind of it. But realistically, like it's, it's their livelihood and they just don't, there's too much risk for them. And so that yeah. as a circumstance is like, it's dictated by them, not by me. So I think realistically there is many sides to it, but I think same sort of concept, like if you can be a good human and make sure that you're useful, um, it's kind of like what you were saying about when you get put onto a boat, right? Like you have to do what the skipper says. It's kind of the same concept. Like when you get to someone's farm, it's their farm, it's their house. You have to do what they say. Like yeah. make sure you're, you're respecting it. Make sure you're looking after it. Um, make sure you're closing the bloody gates. Like stuff like that is just so simple yet. So many people just don't even do the bare basics. Don't oh. scare the animals. Like, yeah, there's a lot to it, but yeah. it, it's simple, but not simple. When I go out west, I get a, a property sort of between Cunnamulla and Charleville, and we just go out there and chase pigs and foxes. Every I haven't done it for a few years, but they 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 were like um they're they're like friends, you know, family friends. Mm-hmm. And there's always like, oh hey, like don't go near this paddock, you know, they've all just dropped lambs in the last few days, so don't don't go don't go in it or near it. It's, it's so sweet. It's easy. Like. Yeah. And then, like you say, you open and shut gates. If um, if you if you see a damaged gate or a bit of damaged fence, you can do a bit of a running repair and help help the farmers out. It's just a no brainer. Like, um, I think unfortunately, a lot of people think that it's a like it's their right to go and do hunting. And what I mean by that is like, well, Australian species in particular, they're they're pests, right? So we have to get rid of them to some degree. And so what ends up happening is these people go in with like a well, I'm doing right by you i'm doing right by everyone so therefore it becomes like a bit of entitlement rather and that's oh, when yeah. bad shit goes wrong i think so realistically keeping it in the mindset of like it, it is a privilege it is really like you're very blessed to even have that access and i know how many people struggle to get access mm-hmm. um and so it is definitely something like realistically it's, it's a privilege so if, if you yeah if you don't have the ability to go and get yourself um private land there is paid options and that is a good way to start off definitely all right cool um all right cognizant of time but i still want to get a little bit more into this bow hunting thing so all right so let's say we're hunting across some country that's open enough that i can sort of make out you know maybe a group of animals that i want to get close to let's just say that 
several kilometres away across, um, you know, a couple of valleys or whatever. Um, talk to me about noise, moving and closing the gap uh, mm. on so those animals. Pretty much like depending on how far they are, but several kilometres, you can pretty much walk very easily and openly just straight to them unless you're like really high up and walking down a face onto them or vice versa there they're high up and looking down on you and it's a big open face. Um, like realistically, if you can get some sort of dead ground or something to block you between you and them, that's like the easiest way to stalk up. So even if you're a hundred meters out from an animal, if you can have something blocking their vision, because that's one of the main sensors they're going to rely on to start with apart from their nose. But if, if you've got the winds right, then you're good to go. So a is always making sure the winds are right. They're blowing in your face um, or across your face and not directly towards the animal. And then B is just trying to figure out, okay, where can I go where the animal's not necessarily going to be able to see me so I can close as much ground between me and them as possible um, before having to kind of show myself in any form. And then the other side to that is making sure you keep into the shadows where you can because you're a shiny object when you're out in the sun versus being in the shadows. You can kind of get away with a fair bit of extra movement as well. Ah, Okay. And what about noise? Like, so, like, mm. you're 200 metres away, like, we're pretty loud. Like, and there's, we are. there's always just shit on the ground, like sticks and rocks and everything moves and it's it's not like you're walking on some sort of controlled, manicured front lawn. Like, um, how do you do it? What are some, what is it just sort of cleverly placing your feet and then slowly adding weight? Or, I mean, how do you... Yeah, I think also it depends on like shoes and stuff like that. Like I'm a massive fan of wearing follies, just like flat foot. Essentially, you can feel everything that's under your foot. It, it doesn't work for if you're doing like mountainous terrain or like rugged country essentially. But in regards to like these flats or like this cornflake filled mountains that we hunt a lot here in the Brisbane Valley, um, essentially I really like something where you can touch the ground and feel the ground as you're stepping through. So I wear volleys whenever I go hunting much of a, a cringe to most of the bow hunting community, to be honest, <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the same time it works for me. So I keep at it. Um, a lot of people will kind of get to say a hundred meters, 200 meters and they'll take their shoes off and just stalk in on their socks because you get the same sort of feeling. Like it's very quiet. It's very, very easy in comparison, but you're right. Like they, they, they are, sensitive to sound but at the same time a lot of stuff moves around the bush so if you sit and just listen in the bush you can hear a lot of movement from different yeah. animals and critters and bits and pieces i think what's more what more so gives an, a human away is the constant and consistent crunch 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 it's it's very even like the you think about the the musical tone of it it's very different to any other animal because mm -hmm. other animals have four legs that are walking around the bush so they're going to be able to pick that out like that's the sort of stuff that animals are pretty highly aware of is like just different things that are happening within their surroundings okay cool we touched on it earlier about um i think that's pretty cool with stalking and thinking about how to move uh, i think that was pretty cool gives me some broad ideas um with wounded animals you touched on ethics earlier and um it's not something like it's even like in spearfishing you know like i think i i, I did the the poor man pays 15 times thing as well when i started i bought this shit spear gun and the guy that sold it to me sam cox he still works at adreno i think he's the general manager of the whole friggin chain of them now um, he's a, he's an absolute legend, by the way, he started off selling spear guns to people like me on the shop floor. And now he's running the whole joint. He, um, he said to me, 
I can see you really want to get into this and you're serious about it. I can see how passionate you are about it. Honestly, I would not buy this spear gun. I would buy this spear gun. And it was like $100 more. And I was like, yeah, man, but like I'm on a real tight budget. I'm just trying to do everything as cheap as I can. Like if if I can come back in 12 months and buy that better spear gun and then sell this one. And then he was just looking at me like he just, he just, he just, he, he kept trying to be real gentle with me, but. Like spent a hundred dollars more. Anyway, I bought the shit spear gun, and um, <laughs> I went out and I wounded a whole bunch of fish, man. Like, like, and and sometimes with spear fishing, like you're so crap when you start. Like when you finally get a good opportunity on a good fish, you so want to make it count, and that is not the time to have a shit spear gun. When you finally, like, you know, like back in those days, it was like, oh, I'm at eight or nine meters and I'm on the bottom and this wicked black spot comes in on me, boom, gut shot, tears off and it swims away. I had lots of that happen to me because of the spear gun, um, predominantly because of the spear gun, also because I was a fairly shit shot. But when you've got a shit spear gun, you can't really tell if it's you or the gun. And uh, yeah. and this is the problem. And I know that the parallels in, 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 um, in terrestrial hunting are there as well. Can you walk me through wounding animals and um, – Maybe some of the easily avoidables, and 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 what do you do? You know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, it is kind of a side of hunting, right? Not to say that that's the acceptable way to do it, but this is one of those things where it's like, hey, learn from learn from everyone who's talking about it. Um, and I mean, I actually did a, a podcast on this recently just to talk about like the stuff that never really gets seen on social media. Yeah. Like, hey, what happens when you hit an animal and it goes missing? Like then what happens? Like, you know, you haven't killed it. So what do you do? And so we did a whole podcast on that, which was really insightful. So if you want to go kind of in depth on this, then jump across and look at that. But well, realistically, send, one of send, the biggest- send me that after and I'll link it up. Into yeah, I will. As well. I will for sure. Um, one of the biggest things you want to get aware with, and this is also, it goes for the stalking side of things, but it's animal behaviors, figuring out what the animal is doing and understanding what their body language is like. Because one of the biggest mistakes with a shot process is a, either someone is too stressed and like anxious with what they're about to do. They're doing something wrong compared to what they've done with their, with their actual shots in practice. So they're, they're choking their bow or they're shaking or whatever it is. And the shot goes wrong that way. Or the animal moves at the last minute, like they're not paying attention to what the animal's um, body language is doing and putting off. So they're not really paying attention to where the animal's going to be going. Mm-hmm. And they're doing something silly like taking a shot on the move instead. And that's when like a gut shot or something like that will happen. In regards to um, animals, like the a lot of the, the deer species, actually most of the, most of the species that we hunt here within Australia if you shoot them within the guts, they're going to bed up pretty quickly. Um, they're going to try to lay down and try to recover, or they're going to try to find water as fast as they can. A lot of the times they'll go downhill because uphill is going to hurt them more. It's going to cause them to use more muscles. So depending on where you are, they're going to try to get either downhill towards water or bed up into some shady area as fast as possible. Um, and so one of the worst things you can do is actually punch onto that animal really quickly. And what I mean is like jump it out of its bed. And so scaring it out of its position, because once it gets that adrenaline into it, it really gives the animal like another, another whole set of vitals essentially where it can just go and go and go. So you could literally shoot an animal in the heart. It could be dying. You can run over to it too soon and it can hop up and run away from you. So because of that, that adrenaline dump. So it really is something you have to be cautious of, but at the same time, I'm of the mindset of if you hit an animal, you know, it's not right. Like you, 
it's within your best interest to get a second shot on it as fast as possible because dead is good, but dead is better. And so realistically, the animal that you have in your hands as a as a complete job is going to be the only one that you're satisfied at the end of the day because I've seen too many animals walk astray or walk free after a bad shot. Within saying that, like fish, you hit them in the the right, wrong place and they'll live. They'll be completely fine. Like yeah. it's, it's probably no worse than what they get within their day-to-day life of fighting other males or fighting oh. other animals. Yeah. yeah. Like some of the stuff they do is pretty brutal. It's savage out there, like in, in, mm-hmm. in their environment. Like, um, yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a pretty place in the, the animal kingdom, I think sometimes. And hunting is like, I think sometimes, you know, animal activists look on and they're like, ah, oh, you, you're killing an animal. It's like, yes, yes, we are. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> we're doing it very quickly, very humanely. And then we're going to make the most of it. Which is more than most of these animals would get if left to their own devices. Definitely. All right. Well, I'm going to link that episode up as well about the wounded animals. That'll be at noobspirit.com forward slash BAB. I'm remembering with a level of open hostility and resentment the time I walked out into my old house and my housemate was chopping up veggies with one of my filleting knives. Oh. Nowadays, though, good news is Noob Spiro has a knife roll. It's two banging victory knives, an Eggington double-sided steel, a two-sided scaler and fishbone tweezers, and a custom heavy-duty canvas roll made right here in Australia. Check it out at noobspiro.com. Head up into the shop and get yourself a knife pack made by the Noob Spiro for other Spiro legends like you. Check it out at noobspiro.com. Ocean Guardian is the world's leading shark deterrent technology and the great news is they're now partners with the Noob Spiro podcast. You can save 10% on the Freedom 7 or Scuba 7 when you shop at Ocean Guardian. Uh, use the code Noob Spiro at checkout to save 10%. If you want to go there, easy, super easy, go to noobspiro.com forward slash OG, short for Ocean Guardian, pretty original way. Eh? Pump in the code Noob Spiro and you'll save 10% on your shark shield device. Get into it, get amongst it. Ocean Guardian are doing awesome things for Spiros. Hey, Nuba, get your froth on with some Noob Spiro gear. The Jobfish Tribute, Spiro Dad, Rancid Pelican. This gear is only available at noobspiro.com. From flip-flops, crocs and socks, through to hats, shirts and stickers, get your froth on with Noob Spiro at noobspiro.com. Butchering and packing out an animal, it's, um, as you sort of alluded to earlier, like that bloke has a, a just one part of his course is just teaching teaching this aspect of it. Um, I listened to some guys the other day and they were laughing because they pretty much did it by YouTube video, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I was kind of laughing at that. But, like, I, I, I grew up, uh, one of my first jobs was working in a meatworks. And uh, so learning how to sort of, uh, bone out an animal was like, it, it, and the funny thing in a meatworks is like everyone wants to knock industrial food practices and stuff. But when an animal goes into, you know, the kill box in a meatworks, every skerrick, every morsel on that animal is used in some capacity, you know, whether it's the hide or the, or the organs or, you know, even the yield of like 
how many kilos they get from each animal is, is accounted for. Like they have a mm-hmm. spreadsheets opened and everything is accounted for in a meatworks um, because they're paying per kilo for that animal. So, but anyway, I got to learn sort of that process in an incremental fashion. So by the time I went out and, and killed animals and sort of uh, uh, out when I was hunting and stuff, I found it sort of really easy and quite mm-hmm. nice. But not everyone has that background, you know. Um, being able to ha- hang an animal up, skin it, and then sort of take out all the cuts as you like. Um, how did you learn and how do you tell other people to learn? Is it is it learning by YouTube these days? Man, pretty much. Like that was my that was my go-to, learning by YouTube. And then every time I'd get an animal down or someone else I was with would get an animal down, I'd just watch them. I'd be like, hey, can I, can I join in? Can I help you with this process? I mentioned his name before, but Clark McGee and the Ridge Group, I went up there a few times and they would often shoot multiple deer within a day. Like essentially it's a membership program where you can go up and you can shoot deer to fill your freezer and there'd be people who'd shoot two or three deer to take home and um, they're looking for as much help as they can get. And so Clark would be there and be standing with his knife. He's like, all right, boys, like, come on in, who's up? And you just get to go in and, and learn. And so really it's one of those processes where the more you do it, the faster it gets. Um, yeah. Where like I'm down to, I think 26 minutes was the fastest I've had for a deer on the ground in the esky. And the thing that took me the most time was trying to get through the neck bones because um, <laughs> uh, they're just fidgety as a little buggery, but yeah. um, I didn't have a saw, so I had to do it all with a knife. But realistically, the, the more you do it, the better you get. And I think there's processes and ways to make sure you're looking after the meat. Some of the biggest things is making sure that you don't just put it into like slushy water, like meat doesn't mix well with water as such. You need to have it in bags of some sort to make sure it's not going to get wet and um, taint the meat at all. When it's uh, when it's wet, I believe that's when your bacteria starts to spread and that's when it becomes a problem. So making sure that you don't just put it into slushy water, you want to actually put it into like plastic bags and then into your slushy water, like plastic bags that aren't going to leave if you're going to do that process if not just putting it on ice in general so it's not slushy water is is great um but game bags when you're out in the wild essentially you just want to cool the meat down reasonably fast like within the first hour or so of the animal being down you want to at least get the gut out and then within that process as well you want to be able to get the the animal broken down or quartered put it down within an, an extra like, I mean, really stick an extra half hour, hour and a half, you pretty much got to get the meat cooled down and get the processing happening. Um, and once you start to cool the meat, you've got a fair bit of time from there. Okay, interesting. Any YouTube videos you recommend for this? Man, I actually, so interestingly enough, I used to watch a lot of the butchers doing their work instead because I really wanted to learn how to do it to the minute details of getting in and making sure you're getting the muscle from the bone and not leaving all the meat on the bone. So I actually watched a whole heap of, there's a whole heap of American butchers that do their own video series. Um, so I would jump on and watch them quite a lot because of that exact thing. And it's funny because I've all gone out with hunters now and they're very wasteful because they are so, they're plentiful in their amounts of hunting that they get to do yeah, and yeah. the access that they have and the, the amount of species and critters they have, like, where I go hunting, if you get one deer down with the bow within a weekend, you're absolutely stoked. You're cheering. And so I'm like, um, take every inch that I can. And I go down there and they're like, cut half a backstrap off when they're cutting oh, it for me. I'm man. like, what the fuck are you doing? This is, <laughs> this, is, this is part of the motivation for 99 Spare Recipes. I think like when, when you're surrounded by people that have a relative abundance of a resource, sometimes this these sort of these casual cavalier habits can sort of sort of just they just sort of 
become adopted because mm-hmm. people don't realize a that there's 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 other ways of doing it you know and mm. uh and and be that just not that hard like yeah yeah but, exactly but it's just like until you know uh you, you just you do what you know i guess but yeah. i think it's no excuse you know like we live in an age of like you know, we i don't think we live in an age of scarcity but we we live in an age where where we're all becoming steadily better at at being better stewards of the resources that we have. And just because you shoot a dozen fish in a day doesn't mean you shouldn't um, you use them to the to their fullest potential. And I think it'd be the same with, with Wild Game too. Definitely. Yeah, no, and that's been something I've been trying to push on the podcast a lot is like better recipes, better ways to cook, better ways to butcher, better ways to, to take the whole animal and eat nose to tail where possible. So that cookbook, um, maybe you could send that to me, your mate's cookbook for the wild game one, that'd be good because I think it's nice to have, you know, yeah, cool, sweet, I go out and I shoot a red deer, awesome. Now what? You know, like Mm. that's where, you know, like I used to love doing and I was telling you like 50-50 blends with like um, venison mints and beef mints and then the family couldn't even tell and it actually improves the taste of a a lasagna or a bolognese out of sight. Um, Definitely. I I think wild game is a – it's an acquired taste, and for people that haven't grown up with uh, with any sort of game, it can be quite challenging, like in chewy. Um, that, well, by the way, that jerky you made me was absolutely banging, man. Liked it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Brendan reached out to me, and so Brendan, South African, who yeah. was on the course, he was helping Shrek out, and he was like, dude, I've eaten a lot of biltong, and that shit was good. I'm like, yes, yeah. that's always like the top. That's the top. Um, yeah what compliment you can get right <laughs> south africans are so good with biltong eh? So yeah good. and so i think realistically like the game side of thing is that it has to be cooked differently to make it taste just as good and so it can definitely taste just as good and it's funny my auntie's like that's peasant food why do you eat that i can't believe you feed that to your family and so every time i go out i cook for her and i'm like try this and she'll eat it she's like that's pretty good i'm like you know what it is she's like venison i'm like yep <laughs> i don't understand um, why you call it peasant food like it's it's an arguably it's the cleaner the king's food right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um but yeah realistically what i'm getting at is like there, there's many options so that book is ross omara is the the author he's actually like uh michelin's chef when did all his time in um in england in the game restaurants over there and his book is called wild meat and it's actually, it's absolutely phenomenal. You can get it on Amazon. You can buy it through his website. I've got no affiliation. I've done a podcast with him and he's just a top bloke. But the the meat and the recipes and the butchering, the tanning, everything he has in that book is really great. Um, and I can't recommend it enough. I had another guy on the podcast, um, Justin Townsend, a few years ago. I don't know if you come across him. No, not familiar. Um, he has... Uh, he has a podcast over there about hunting as well, but he's also a bit of a Spiro. Um, I'll hook you up with him. He's got a, his own cookbook as well. That'd be interesting to see you guys have a chat. Yeah, awesome. But um, I did an interview yeah. with him ages ago as well. This is a, kind of bringing back some memories for me. Uh, you, you kind of forget um, some of the interesting conversations you've had until you're having another interesting conversation, Maddie. Definitely. It props them all up again, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Man, that's a ton of info eh, on um, sort of a beginning as – Beginner's guide to getting started bow hunting. Um, I reckon we packed a heap in there, mate. But is there anything I sort of missed that was obvious that I, I should have touched on? Um, I mean, I think realistically, it is kind of like a bit of a an endless 
hole that you can go down. Yeah. Like a, once you get started, you can keep going. Maybe something we didn't really talk about is the pack. So a pack that you can carry water and carry some animals out in. Um, you don't have to go super extreme to start with, but eventually you do want to have a, a good backpack, which would cost you $600 to $1,000, um, sometimes more. But, I mean, realistically, the faster you get onto that, the easier it is to carry animals out as well, the more you can take out with you. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think realistically, if anyone is really interested and they want to find out more, feel free to reach out to me on socials or head across. I've got hundreds of hours that you can go and listen to bow hunting content. So so we've got um, becomingabowhunter.podcast on Instagram, uh, becomingabowhunter.podcast on Facebook, and uh, you got your own YouTube channel as well there, Matty, I see. Yeah, I do. I don't really do. I'm, I'm a bit slack with most of my channels apart from Instagram, but uh, YouTube gets a bit of love here and there. And so there, there is most of the podcasts up on the YouTube channel as well. One of the cool ones I liked on there too was how to make a cheap target um, mm. for, for practicing your bow hunting. I thought that was a cool video. I'll link that up as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like when I very first got into it, I was definitely a bit cheap on money and I was looking for every every way to cut corners, and that was one of them. And I, yeah. I still to this day like recommend it if you can. If you can't afford a three hundred dollar target, then don't go buy one. Go and like it literally costs you a dollar if you go to Kmart and grab their their leftover plastic and find a cardboard box. It's the easiest way to do it. Lots of wealthy people are pretty scrappy with their money too. They're pretty careful with how they spend it. I look at yeah, Spiros, yeah. and some of them are super wealthy, and then they are super scrappy with their money. <laughs> I'm just like, come on, bro. Like, yeah. you know but anyway it's um it's it's cool it's good to talk about the parallels with you i was real honored again to have four of you guys um on the podcast like three sort of really active bow hunters and uh it was cool you and your brother were an absolute pleasure to have and you took to it like the proverbial duck to water maddie like um sitting down there 15 meters on your first weekend i was like whoa this guy's he's he's taken to it i think one thing that um really stood out was you've got great self-confidence and and it's well founded too like you've you've put yourself out of your comfort zone and you've worked through things in your life which is which has given you this level of confidence which is it's so easy to teach people like you when they come to the course and um you walked away with a, a bunch of uh a bunch of fish for the weekend and uh it was yeah, it was cool to share it with you man and um yeah i really enjoyed I, I, it was one of my favorite courses but easily so yeah no, oh, thanks, mate. And I honestly, like, if anyone's listening to the podcast and they haven't had a chance to get in the water yet, or they're interested in doing the beginners course, or I'd say any of the courses, not that I've done all of them, but if they're if the beginners one is anything to go off of, then I, I honestly could not recommend it enough. Um, I came home and I used the cookbook and I cooked up the family some some meals from it, and they were absolutely stoked. Like, just to have a change up in diet as one piece, but also to have some delicious fish on the on the recipe was oh sorry on the menu for once was um was really cool and we actually me and josh went out spearfishing again on the weekend we oh, went real? just into into the little tweed river and the visibility was so horrible <laughs> <laughs> it was literally like you're pretty much swimming into the sand did you high tide it <laughs> yeah we we're at high tide and it was just it was too much all rain. The storms and stuff had been around yeah exactly and we're like we're here now we may as well give it a shot and um yeah you spoke actually, some platties I saw so many flatties, but it was literally like as you'd see them, like yeah, they were swimming yeah. off as you'd see them pretty yep. much because the, the viz was that horrible. I shot a blackfish um, oh, nice. with my with my new pranger head, but 
I just ripped it in half, dude. Like it just oh. shot through the whole thing. Yeah, it's horrible. I was like, oh, I'm like, I felt really bad for the fish because I wanted to take it home and eat it, and it ended up yeah. becoming fish food for everything else. So, <laughs> uh, it's all good. I think one thing when you do do that, like, and you destroy something with a pranger, like it, that fish is going straight back into the ecosystem. You oh, know? 100%. Like, um, yep. So it's not wasted, and um, you managed to shoot a fish and really ship as well done. Thank you. But no, I'm in it for the long run. I'll definitely keep going back. And I think, honestly, like you you see so many people selling their gear online of like uh, tried spearfishing once. It's not for me. Uh, I'm selling all my gear. And it's like, if you don't want to have that experience, then jump on and do one of these courses. Because I honestly think like you've set me up on on the good route straight away. So, Oh, mate, you took to it, like I said. like um, And you'd be an asset to have out on the boat too, Matty, because you – you bring some of these same ideas from bow hunting with you, like just being a good person and sometimes just putting your own stuff to the side and just trying to be a, a bit of a help or, mm-hmm. or being kind to the people around you. Like it makes you friends in the long run and you, you know, you'll, you'll be out on boats in no time and, and making, making the most out of it. Um, again, uh, a couple of massive personal attributes you have, like you, Go about things with intention and a lot of self-discipline. I really admire that. I also like this thing on your Instagram. It said, the shortcut is a lie. Practice your shots. Walk until you've uncovered every bit of country. Practice the discipline of taking only clean shots. And maybe, just maybe, it'll all work out for you. Mm-hmm. There's the truth to bow hunting, right? Like like I said, it took me two and a half years to get my first year down. It's just, it's such a discipline. It's not, not anything else other than that. And I think that's why it's so rewarding because when you do all of the things right and the animal does all the things wrong, that's when it comes together and that's when it's so rewarding. Great note to end this conversation on, Maddie. Again, Indeed. guys, go to noobspirit.com forward slash BAB to check out any of Maddie's stuff. And I highly encourage you to subscribe to the Becoming a Bow Hunter podcast and uh Tune in every other week, is it, for a potty? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, I love it. Same as same as what we do here, bro. So all good. Thank you very much, Shrek. Appreciate your time, dude. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed Maddie Turner from Becoming a Bowhunter Podcast. Absolute champion of a man. Um, got out spearfishing with him on New Year's Day in Reese Clay's uh, mate's boat, uh, along with Josh from the Central Coast Sea Lions. We got out for a day, had an absolute blast. It was crack weather, great conditions, heaps of fish around. Then the boat broke down and we ended up getting towed in by Bribey VMR. Um, found out the boat wasn't actually um, paying its annual levy with Coast Guard or VMR. So we had to shell out for that trip back. Um, it was a couple of takeaways, like it's great to it's obviously good to be registered with your local one. Uh, you can save some money in the event of a breakdown. It's also good practice to radio in and out. Um, just another point of safety. But anyway, I had a good time with these guys. And uh, Maddie is going from strength to strength with the spearing, so it's really cool to see. Um, tune into Becoming a Bow Hunter if you want to learn a bit more about what, what we talked about today. Also, guys, recently I was really struck by... I guess the realization of, of how grateful I need to be to, to to you guys, the frothers, the listeners, the patrons. Like um, you, you keep fuel on the outboard. Uh, you keep the show growing, telling your mates about it. You know whether it's leaving a review, whether it's signing up to patron on an episode by episode basis. Um, all of this stuff 
keeps me motivated, keeps me doing this thing. 2024, we've got a big year ahead of us. I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you joined about 40 other frothers on patreon.com forward slash Consider putting some fuel in the Noob Spiro Apple from week to week. There are a bunch of legends who invest in this show and helping to make the spearfishing world a better place. Uh, help us all be safer, more effective and have more fun. So, hey, legends, that's it for me. Come back in one week's time. We're going to chat and have a bit of a catch up on some of the recent courses I've done including the Intermediate where I had uh, Tim McDonald, um, Trevor Kitchen and Tom Sandstrom come and help me teach and put on one hell of a weekend for about 10, 10, 11, 12 frothers. So yeah, come back and have a listen to that. It's going to be awesome. As usual legends, again, thanks for listening. I'll catch you in a week. I used to get told there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. But I found out that there are actually three. Score a free hat of your choice when you use the code NoobSparrow with every purchase of over $100 at noobsparrow.com forward slash taxman. Get some gear that's nearly guaranteed to drive away the wokesters but gain admiration from the fishing fraternity. Go to noobsparrow.com forward slash taxman and use the code at NoobSparrow when you spend $100 or more to get yourself a free hat. Again, noobsparrow.com forward slash taxman. <laughs> this review for adreno.com.au from Brett, particularly the Woolongabba Adreno Superstore. I started spearfishing more regularly recently and Adreno not only has everything I need, it has Paul. He's super helpful, knowledgeable and kits me out each time with gear that I actually use. Paul has also provided me with heaps of tips that have made my dives better and more fruitful. He has the friendliest vibe and I would happily empty out my account upon every visit. I never write reviews and I used to buy gear online, but have now found in-store is much better. That review from Brett, it's up on Google if you want to check it out. Adreno.com.au, one of the longest running partners of the Noob Sparrow podcast. Use the code Noob Sparrow to save $20. In-store, online, go to Adreno.com.au, massive superstores, huge range of gear, check it out. Absolutely mint customer service specialty spearfishing equipment elite spear gun performance components unforgettable reliability you want to find out where to buy this punchaneptonics.com and shop at the best US spearfishing store neptonics.com free shipping to the lower 48 when you spend over 199 and you can use the code noob10 to save 10% this is your chance to save dosh buy deadly good gear and experience A grade customer service Will you shop with the best? Visit naptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to start shooting 35-pound muttons tomorrow. Actual performance may differ from advertisement. Please refer to terms and conditions to see if you're eligible to be a legend like Shrek. This advertisement was not even endorsed by Jerry and the team at Neptonics. Hoorah and God bless America. Mm-hmm.